0: Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue the series through the Sermon on the Mount. And our text today will be one of my favorite texts, Brother Jerry. Matthew five seventeen through 20. One time I was privileged enough to be able to do an interview on a local television station and I told the lady that was interviewing me that Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 was my second favorite text in all of the Bible. And uh, it's real close to the first favorite text. My first favorite text is Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 where Yahweh says, I will give you a new heart and I will cause you to follow my statutes. That's my first favorite text, but Matthew 5 is a close second, verses 17 through 20, that is. So let's read Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. I didn't get the opportunity to finish my studies for these new teachings, so we'll get as far as my study notes have gotten, and then we'll pick this up again next week, continuing in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. All right, so the Scripture says, Yeshua speaks and he says this Matthew 5:17 Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For I assure you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, right now I pray that You would clear our minds. Let us be able to concentrate on Your Word. I'm tired. But Yahweh, Father, I pray that you give me a second wind in the Spirit and allow me to be able to teach through my notes here on this text today. Bring back all my studies to my memory. And I pray that above all, I would be able to relay them in an easy to understand way. May Your Word be magnified in all things. May we always look to You. For our answers, we pray these things to you, Father Yahweh, through your Son Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Matthew five seventeen through twenty. This is what sometimes I like to call a hitching post text, or a refrigerator verse. A refrigerator verse is a verse that is so important that you would print it out and put it on your refrigerator with a magnet, so that you see it every day. And you memorize the verse. This is a refrigerator verse. This is a hitching post text. If you've ever put up fencing, I don't like to do it. But if you put up any type of fence, you have to have a strong corner post to pull from, usually bigger than the post that go down the fence line. That strong corner post is braced to another post, and you pull from that. If you've got a good strong corner, you're gonna have a good strong fence. Well, this is a Hitching Post text. This is a text that you need to know inside and out the best that you can so that you can pull the rest of your doctrine and the rest of your understanding from this Hitching Post. All verses in the Bible are true, but some are more important than other ones. This verse is more important than the one, let's say, where Rebecca got off of her camel to meet Isaac. In Genesis 24, that's an important verse too, but this verse is more important. Yeshua talks about how that there are weightier matters in the law in Matthew 23. Yeshua also mentions in Matthew 22 that the first commandment, which first means greatest or most primary commandment. So there's weightier matters and there's lesser matters in the scriptures. These verses are the primary reason here. Matthew 5:17 through20 are the number one reason why I believe that the law of Yahweh is still in force today. These verses are the primary reason why I don't believe that the law of Yahweh has been destroyed or done away with or abolished. Obviously, I get that understanding from previous revelation in the Bible. Specifically from the law and the prophets, the Torah and the prophets. You can get that understanding from there. But as the coming of the Messiah takes place, the first coming of the Messiah, and we begin to receive further revelation on top of the Old Testament or the Tanakh, these, this right here is the number one reason why Brother Matthew believes the law has not been destroyed and is in still force for us today. This is where I begin, Matthew five seventeen through 20 In verse 17, Yeshua says, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. The King James Version is more popular here. Most people would know this verse as, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I wrote a song, Do not think <clears throat> I came to destroy the law or the prophets, from this text right here. And I don't know the Greek language inside and out but I take my cue from people who do and when you look this up in commentaries of men who know the Greek they say that this is in what's called the aorist tense and what it means is Yeshua is saying don't even begin to think he's not saying stop thinking it. like people are thinking that the law has been destroyed by his teachings he's not saying you need to stop thinking he's saying don't even begin to think that I came to destroy the law. I think that makes sense too in context because this is at the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, not at the end. At the end of Yeshua's ministry, we might expect him to say, stop thinking that I came to destroy the law. But at the beginning, remember he didn't even begin his ministry until he was 30 years old after he was baptized by Yohanan, the the washer or John the baptizer. So he begins his ministry and one of the first things that he says is, don't begin to think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Why does he mention the prophets here? What does he mention law and prophets here? I believe that what Yeshua is doing here is encompassing all of what Yahweh commands us. Yahweh doesn't just command us things in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He also commands us things through His holy prophets. How many times do you read the prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah and the prophet will say, thus saith Yahweh. Or if you read the Home Christian Standard Bible, it will say, this is Yahweh's declaration. And so Yahweh speaks through the prophets to give commands or laws, not just through Prophet Moses, which is a great prophet, but also through the prophets, plural. Who would think, after all, that a professed Messiah, somebody that came on the scene to profess to be the Messiah, who would think that the Messiah would come to destroy prophecy that was about himself. That doesn't really make sense. So I don't think that Yeshua is talking about the prophets in the sense of prophecy. I think he's talking about the prophets in the sense of Yahweh's voice through the prophets in commandments and in laws. Hold your finger here in Matthew 5 and just flip the page to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 verse 12 shows us another instance by the same author who is recording Sermon on the Mount... Teachings of Yeshua. In Matthew 7 verse 12, Yeshua says this. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the what? Law and the prophets. So the prophets there are not used in the sense of a prophecy, but as part of the commandments of Yahweh. Now, turn to Matthew 22, same author. Matthew chapter 22. Verses 34 through 40. I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together in the same place, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest He said to them, Love Yahweh, your mighty one, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice verse 40. All the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commandments. Notice the phrase again. Law and prophets. Not talking about necessarily prophecy like a... Uh, prediction of something that was going to take place, but law and prophets in the sense of commandments. So I think that's what Yeshua is saying in Matthew 5. Don't think I came to destroy the body of law, all of Yahweh's law. Uh, The nail in the coffin proof that law and prophets stands just for the commandments is the context of Matthew 5. Because notice in verse 18, he just calls it the law. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law. He doesn't say law or the prophets, but it means the same thing. And then notice in verse 19, Therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments. So commandments is the same thing as law. Law is the same thing as law or the prophets. Yeshua here is not talking about prophecy. He's not referring to fulfilling any prophecy. And I'll get to that here more in a second. So the subject is not Yeshua's life here. The subject is Yeshua's doctrine. Once again, it's not talking about Yeshua's life here. It's talking about His doctrine. Sometimes they overlap. Obviously we know that Yeshua lived His life in accordance with the law of Yahweh. But here, He's not talking about His personal life. He's talking about what He teaches. His doctrine. Why is it then that so many pastors and congregants think that Yeshua came to destroy the law. They go so far as to not just think it, they actually teach sermons and have systematic theology classes in seminary that teach people that the primary reason that Yeshua came the first time was to destroy the law. It doesn't make any sense when he said, we're not even supposed to begin to think that he came to destroy the law or the prophets. Before we move on to exegeting this text to some degree, let's set our hearts to obey the words of our Master. I have to remind myself of this sometimes when I read other texts. Because, you know, as I mentioned before, every text in the Bible is important, but every text doesn't weigh as much. So we have to remember, if we're reading something in the book of Acts or if we're reading something from the Apostle Peter, or something from the Apostle Paul, none of that can override what our Master said. The word apostle means to be sent out. So Peter was an apostle of the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah. Paul was an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua wasn't an apostle of Peter or Paul. Hebrews chapter 3 does refer to Yeshua as an apostle. It calls him an apostle, but he's an apostle of Almighty Yahweh. So what Yeshua says can't override what Yahweh said. What Peter and Paul teacher said can't override what Yeshua said. There is an order of operations in Bible study. And if you read something that Yeshua says... And you think this doesn't completely go along with what I am seeing in the law of Yahweh, then you're probably reading it incorrectly. Same thing with Peter or Paul or James. If something that Peter, Paul or James said doesn't seem like it jives or dovetails with something that Yeshua taught, then put that on the shelf. Don't do away with what Yeshua said. Don't do away with what Yahweh said. Order of operations let set our hearts not to even begin to think that Yeshua came to destroy the law. That's what he tells us here. Don't think, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. There are some common misconceptions about this verse. Verse 17. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. That's the common answer when I tell people that Yeshua didn't come to destroy the law. Most pastors that I've talked to or people in general, they say, well, we know that, but He came to fulfill it. And the word fulfill to a lot of people is viewed here as though Yeshua is fulfilling a prophecy. Like, for instance, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant prophecy. He was wounded for our transgressions. So they think, well, He didn't come to destroy the prophecies about Him. He came to fulfill them, and once He fulfilled them, then they're no longer Valid, Or they're no longer to be fulfilled again. That's how a lot of people read this verse. Or fulfilled is seen as Yeshua fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy it. He fulfilled it. So we don't have to fulfill it because He fulfilled it for us. That's how this verse is viewed by the majority of Christians and even pastors in the world today. Either that Yeshua fulfilled prophetic texts about Himself. Or he fulfilled the law in his own life and don't you worry about it Jerry or Rocket or Tisha because he took care of it for you. You don't have to worry about it. I don't think that's what this is saying. And I don't think that it's difficult to come to the conclusion that I've come to. And I'm going to show you how. I don't think that it's saying what these other people say. And the way I'm going to do that is simply by the context of the passage. When you study the Bible, one of the top primary rules for Bible interpretation is context, context, context. Always look at the context. And in this case, it is so easy for us to see that the context is about the disciples, the students, the pupils of Yeshua. Not Yeshua's works, but our works. How do you know that, Brother Matthew? Well, don't forget what we've been over in verses 1 through 16. In verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He's speaking about other people, not himself. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Picture him sitting there on the grass on the Mount of Olives, preaching to the multitude. And telling them, you'll be blessed if you do this. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice for your reward is great in heaven. This whole 16 verses before we get to verse 17 is about the followers of Yeshua. The works that they do. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, he says. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that men will see your good works. Now, I believe that Yeshua's works are great. And I believe His life was perfect. That's not the subject of this passage. He's talking to His disciples and telling them, You are the salt. You are the light. This passage is about the works of us, not the works of Yeshua. That's a common misconception and I think that we can vary it and not allow it to continue when we hear someone say that fulfill here is like a prophecy being fulfilled or that it means Yeshua fulfilled the law. No, the context is about us obeying, us being blessed, us being salt, us being light and other people seeing our good works so that we can glorify the Father in heaven. Another misconception here about this text is that this is only about the moral law. Anybody ever heard this one? It's just a moral law that he didn't come to destroy. But he did destroy the civil law and the ceremonial law. Um, A common Christian understanding, and this goes back a, a good several hundred years, is that the law is divided into three categories. And I'm not completely against this categorical understanding. But I think that people take it too far. The categories are moral law, like some would say the Ten Commandments, or some people would say nine of the Ten Commandments are moral. The Sabbath they would say is ceremonial. Some Christians would say the Sabbath would be a moral law. And then you have the civil law. Civil laws would be like um, uh, judicial judgments, governmental judgments, ministers of justice. Like if you steal, you have to pay the penalty. Or if you commit adultery or murder, you have to pay the penalty. Civil law. Uh, and then you have the ceremonial law like the priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices and things like that. So some people think that the context here or what Yeshua is saying is, don't think that I came to destroy the moral law, but I did come to take away and destroy the civil and the ceremonial. I don't think that that's what Yeshua is saying here. And this is why. Once again, context. This time, instead of going backwards, we're going to go forwards. Just just a little bit, just a few verses. Look at verse 21 and 22. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hell fire. See that word Sanhedrin there? Uh, Your Bible might say the council. Uh, Sanhedrin is basically what's called a transliteration from the Greek here. It's identical. The Greek word is Sanhedrin and they just brought it over into English with the same letters. Transliteration means when you take a word in one language and then you bring the letters, each letter individually, over into another language. And the Sanhedrin that Yeshua is talking about, that people will be subject to if they shout at another brother, you're a fool. The Sanhedrin is the council of elders that existed in the first century that would pronounce judgments on a civil level towards the people of Israel. They actually had authority. They were under a somewhat of a, of a rule by the Roman authorities. But the Roman authorities allowed the governing Sanhedrin of the Judahite people to go so far as to even put people to death sometimes for violating the law of Yahweh. The Sanhedrin consisted of about 70 men. Depending on where you read, some commentators say 71, some say 72. But 70 is the round number. And they say that the reason that the Sanhedrin consisted of 70 men was it was patterned after the 70 elders under prophet Moses in the Torah. In Exodus 24 verse 9, it talks about how that there were 70 elders underneath Moses that were there for governing the people of Israel. Fast forward several years to the New Testament time or the time period of the first coming of Yeshua and there was a council or a court of Israelite men, elders, that when you had cases that were very heavy, they would be brought before that court and that council or that court would pronounce a civil judgment. The reason I'm bringing this up is, is that Yeshua here in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, mentions the civil law. Not just the moral law, but the civil law, the penalty for breaking the law. If you call your brother you fool, you might have to go before the Sanhedrin. Hold your finger there and turn to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Verses 59 through 60. This is before Yeshua was put to death, but he was on trial. Who was he on trial before? The Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, your Bible might say the whole council, once again the Greek is Sanhedrin, they were looking for false testimony against Yeshua so they could put him to death. What is this? This is a court, this is a council. Verse 60, but they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two came forward. And the rest of the story, we know that Yeshua was put to death unjustly. The point here is is that this, here in the same book, Matthew, same author, this word or Sanhedrin, we see here is in a reference to like going before a court. So, in Matthew chapter 5... When Yeshua says, don't begin to think or assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets, he's not just talking about the moral law. He's also talking about the civil law, the penalties for breaking the law, because he mentions the Sanhedrin or the council going before them. What about the ceremonial law, though? Some people say, well, surely you can't be talking about, don't think I came to destroy the ceremonial law. The priests, the sacrifices, things like that. I don't think that's what Yeshua was talking about. I think when he said, don't think I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I think he meant anything that Yahweh ever commanded. I didn't come. My mission was not to come to destroy that. The reason I don't think that the ceremonial law is excluded is the next two verses in Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24. Remember, in the context of hating your brother We'll get to this in a later sermon. but Verse 23, it says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The word gift, it's an English word, but whether it's used in the Old or the New Testament, it could be referencing a sacrifice, animal sacrifice or money for the temple treasury. But the clue here that we know that Yeshua is talking about an animal sacrifice is He says, your gift on the altar. When Yeshua talked about an altar, He wasn't talking about the front of the church where a lot of times people come up to pray after the sermon. He was talking about the sacrificial altar. So Yeshua is saying, if you have a brother that you know has something against you and you're bringing a sacrifice to Yahweh, and all of a sudden you remember, whoa, I've got an alt there between me and my brother. He said, leave your sacrifice there on the altar. Go and reconcile with your brother. Then come back and offer your, your gift. In our mindset... Because of Christianity, modern Christianity, we don't view the sacrifices as gifts. Once again, sacrifices, specifically animal sacrifices, are seen as something that's almost barbaric, too primitive. Uh, Maybe Yahweh was just making up something for a while, but he surely didn't require that, or doesn't require that now, people say. But the Hebrew word for sacrifice is often the word korban. And the word korban means a gift. A gift. We must remember that the majority of the animal sacrifices that Yahweh commanded are mentioned in Scripture. Didn't have to do with sin. There are five categories of animal sacrifices. Two of them, the sin and the guilt offering, have to do with sin. But the other three categories, the burnt offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering, Did not have to do with sin. You know why they were brought? As a gift to Yahweh. The Israelites were agrarians and they raised livestock. And one of the ways that they would show their appreciation to Yahweh is by offering every tenth cow, every tenth goat, every tenth sheep, or the firstborn of a flock. And firstborn doesn't just mean first in order, but first in rank the best, the primary. The point that I'm making here is that Yeshua, according to the context of Matthew 5, is here talking about the ceremonial law, what's called the law of the sacrifices. Because He mentions the gift on the altar. So Yeshua in Matthew 5, when He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets, He must be speaking about anything that Yahweh commands. He's saying, my mission is not to come to destroy... What Yahweh has already commanded. That's not why I'm here. I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill. Now I'm going to get more into this next week. But I believe that fulfill has to mean the opposite of destroy. One of the first things I learned when I was young. And sometimes Brother Arnold would call me up and say, I want you to go on the radio with me. And one of the first things I learned from Brother Arnold was that fulfill has to mean the opposite of destroy. Else the passage here would be self-contradictory. Most people say, well, he didn't come to destroy, but he did come to fulfill it. But in their minds, they think that once he fulfilled it, it was destroyed. (laughs) That doesn't make sense because then the passage would be self-contradictory. So I'm saying that fulfill has to mean the opposite of destroy. And next week... I'm going to put forth today, but next week I think I'll prove that destroy here, in context, Yeshua is saying, I did not come to misinterpret or take away from what Yahweh has already commanded. But I've come to fulfill, and I think what he means by fulfill is, I have come to properly show you the correct way to understand Yahweh's commandments. And one of the big reasons that I think that is because the rest of chapter 5, he opposes the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees, their interpretation of the law, with his interpretation of the law. I'll get more into that next week. I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we'll take testimony and prayer request. Brother Jerry, you want to take them today? That's good. Let's pray and then we'll do that. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Thank You for Your Word truly is a lamp to our feet. It shows us the path that we ought to walk. Help me, Yahweh, and help us all not to think that Yeshua came to destroy the law. Sometimes we battle with that. I pray that You always put it in our mind. Father, I love You. I love Your Word. Thank You for Your people. Hallelujah.